0: All right, there's a message this morning that I am going to give you. I've entitled The Spiritual Laws of Pride and Humility out of Luke 14 with Maywish uh, just read. This is known as the parable of Jesus, is the parable of the seating at a banquet. And it's a simple story of when you walk into the banquet, don't sit at the front, sit at the back. Uh, that's how the world is supposed to work. But, you know, the world works the opposite. And In the kingdom of God, it's almost always when Jesus talks, he goes, you think it should be this way, but it really should be this way. And I'm burdened really to talk about this issue of humility and pride because I think I'm just burdened in the culture at large, in the church at large, in my own life as I grow in Christ, um, how, how deep this is. I think, you know, those, those days when you come to Christ and you have the big sins you're trying to get out of your life, and so then you think about refining it down to those things like patience and uh, love and humility, and then you realize, actually, those are the big things. <laughs> you know, cigarettes were easy. Uh, humility is hard. Uh, so I, I want to talk about that uh, this, this morning. Augustine says this, the way to Jesus is first humility, second humility, third humility. The three cardinal virtues of the Christian life, he said you can sum up in that word humility. Not because there's not other precepts to be explained, but if hu- humility does not proceed and accompany and follow every good work we do, pride will rest from our hand any good deed we do Well, we're in the very act of taking pleasure in it. Ancient Greek philosophers said that humility is a meta-virtue. It is the foundation of all other virtues. So uh, the reason I talked about this in the area of the spiritual laws of pride and humility is because they actually work uh, according to a system. And I want us to understand the system so we actually understand how to live in humility. Humility. You know we think of uh, Newton's third law of motion says that a body in motion will do what? Stay in motion, and a body at rest will yes, that was my that was my experience this morning laying in bed. My body at rest did not want to start going in a different direction. Uh, so the spiritual laws work the same way, and they're invisible, but they're far more powerful than laws of motion. As I did my study, This week on humility, I just want to let you know like this spiritual law is actually traced throughout the scriptures in many ways. In the first book of the Bible, I would say this is the oldest book of the Bible, is Job. It says, for when they are humbled, you say it's because of pride, but he saves the lowly. That's part of the spiritual law. Go to Wisdom Literature, you can find a number of proverbs about this. But before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. There's the law at work. In the great hymn book of the Bible in Psalms, the Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. In the Gospels, in Luke 18, if we go to the parable of the tax collector, the publican and the tax collector, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then James 4, I almost spoke out of that passage this morning, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When, when you walk in the doors here, the verse above you says, says What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, uh, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? This is basically what the Christian life is all about. So I want to start by talking about the spiritual law of pride, and it's simply this. If I exalt myself, I will be humbled. 100% every time, no exceptions, no it is true. It is all throughout scripture. It is said dozens of times this is the way it works. And a lot of times we think about pride as, you know, somebody walking around with a swagger. You know, I had a, I had a, a friend in high school. Her name was Christy. And she, she would always walk around to every day and say, Notice me, notice me, notice me. And she didn't have a birthday. She had a birth week. And she made us all celebrate her the entire week. Uh, and we humored her along. Those lines, you know, but I think most people in life actually walk through life saying, notice me, notice me. She just gave verbiage to that. But actually, that's not what I'm really talking about. There's a huge, you know, issue right now with celebrity Christianity, you know, and, and the downfall of it. I don't, I don't detect any Kardashian Christians in the room, right, who are, are wanting to be all the stuff, but pride is actually far more subtle than just saying, notice me. And it works on a pattern. The first pattern is this, I am the God of my life. Caleb, if you would queue up that video. I am the God of my life. I trust in my own righteousness, my own power, and my own wisdom. None of us will say we're the God of our life, but we just tend to act that way. Caleb, if you have the video, if you would show it.
1: It's kind of egocentric, but being the president of one's own country, you can really do whatever you want. Thank you very much. I am President Kevin Baugh of the Republic of Molossia, a tiny, self-declared country within Nevada. That's within the United States. You turn it up. We have everything that a nation should have, bank, stamps, and post office. And there is the Molossia Railroad. We have five human citizens and three canine oh. citizens. My neighbors don't mind too much, but having the country right up the street. I am responsible for just about everything that goes on in my country. We very much appreciate the United States for allowing Malasia to exist and not squashing us like a bug. I absolutely encourage everyone to start run a creation. It can be an expression of creativity or your particular view of government. I have fun with it literally every single day. All right, everyone, get out of my country, go on. If you're in the bathroom, get out.
0: He has a killer website, by the way. It's, it's awesome. Uh, but I, I actually think this is kind of like how we actually like to live our lives. I, I am the king of my own little country. And when I'm ready for you to leave, just get out, right? And, and I kind of dictate the rules of my country. And that's kind of how I move throughout my life. So what is, what is pride? Is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge our dependence upon him. Now, none of us would say that today, right? We wouldn't wouldn't think that in those terms, but I think it actually happens very subtly. We get busy with life. We start skipping our spiritual practices. We get complacent. Worldly desires start to seep into our lives, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We start developing a little bit of a critical spirit. We become judgmental of other people. Religion for us moves to duty. Our community vulnerability becomes fairly infrequent. We become very sensitive to criticism. It's been a long time since we've confessed our sins. We can even hurt others. We can cocoon our lives. We we dictate how uh, our life goes down. We don't take many more risks, right? We just start growing cold to the things of God. This is why John Stott said this, this subtle pride was the essence of all sin, and with the end of the road, it leads to fights, covetousness. The Bible says in Philippians 2, selfish ambition and vain conceit. If we actually look at the problems of injustice in the world, it is just because of this pride problem, right? We have, we have lived our own lives and been unconcerned of those around us. So the way the law works is this. When, I start, when pride starts to grow in my heart, God resists me. This is how the law works. You get in a fight with God. Do you know how stupid that is? (laughs) The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud. If there is one person you don't want to fight, it's not Floyd Mayweather. That's not your biggest problem. We oppose God. And I can just promise you this. You are going to lose. You can't win that fight. I often think of God, you know, he might look over the banister of heaven and there's Jason, you know, and he wants me to go that way and, and I go that way and he just oh, sticks his finger down there. So I try to get around the finger. Oh, You know, I'm not going to win that game. You know, he, he can stop me at every turn. He's in control of everything. You know, I'm a biker. And we're getting ready for the triple bypass you know, bike ride this summer. And if you ride a bike, it's all about the power and the pedals. But you know what immobilizes the bike? The chain just slips off. And you know what happens when the chain slips off and you're going down the road? Shhh, and your bike stops and you're still doing this, right? Because it can't move. The, the power has been disengaged. When you have pride in your life, God just got to step up and slip the chain out of your life, and you just spin those wheels. You ever been there? (laughs) Yeah. Spinning those wheels. God, what are you doing in my life? We get resentful, angry, and fearful. Somebody said to me, resentment is not getting my way in the past. Anger is not getting my way in the present. Fear is not getting my way in the future your life full of resentment and anger and fear, it's probably because there's a lot of pride that's stewing underneath the surface. And so how does the law work? I'm the God of my life, God resists me, and so then he humbles me. He doesn't just take the chain off. He wants to get you to a place of humility. And when God shows up, you know it. I read this week, most of scripture is God trying to get our attention. He says, don't sit in a place of honor, and then someone more important than you shows up, and the host tells you to move and you're humiliated. Right? That, that's the humbling thing. You ever you ever had that happen? You were in the wrong seat and someone said, so, you know, you're not you're not that important. You need to kind of move over here. And you're like, walk out, you know. I remember my, my family and I we used to fly standby with United, because my mom worked for the airlines, and we packed on a plane to go to Disneyland and Right before they were taken off, they said, well, the party of seven of Jans, please get off the plane. You know, looks like some ticketed passengers had shown up because we flew for free. How humiliating that everybody knew we were the poor folk, <laughs> you know, getting off that plane. God has a way of humbling us. Augustine in the fourth century, two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the forgetfulness of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the forgetfulness of self. The former in a word, glories in itself, the latter in the Lord. So how does God humble us? If you're OCD and you like to take notes, you're going to burn about eight things right here I'm going to give you about how God actually humbles you. This is how the law works. First of all, he'll give you a command you won't obey to expose your stubbornness. He'll give you a command you will not obey to expose your stubbornness he will give you a command you will not obey to expose your stubbornness. Remember Jonah? God says, go this way. Jonah said, "Uh -uh." uh-uh. There was a command that Jonah would not obey. And you know what God had to do? Totally wipe the guy out. Second, he will chastise you to awaken you to your sinfulness. You know, David uh, thought he had gotten away with sin. And God steps in, takes his son. I, I remember... Uh, I wasn't making a ton of money and I had a business idea that I wanted to go and make some money with. And so I invested, took some money out of my home equity and I went and invested. And of course I prayed about it because I just wanted God to like sprinkle holy water on my idea. But he wasn't going to stop me, right? But I prayed, prayed a couple times, so I felt good about it, right? But you know, I just, I had greed in my heart and that business miserably failed, you know, I walked up to my uh, tax guy and I said, "I was embarrassed to even tell him." And he said, "Well, Jason, now you know how not to run a business." You know, <laughs> I've never forgotten that. But that was chastisement from the Lord. Third, He'll send you a trial you cannot escape to rid you of your self-dependence. Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. It was why, so he wouldn't get exalted above measure, right? he can surface a critic to reveal our self-righteousness. You know that when you get a critic, it often is a wonderful gift to you. One of the reasons that criticism takes so many people out of the game is they can't handle somebody not thinking that they're the stuff. We all need someone in our life who's not very impressed with us. (laughs) And rather than get really mad at this critic, right, almost every bit of criticism has some truth in it. If you're mad at somebody... This might be God's messenger to say, hey, humble up here. You are not all that. Now, it's not always this kind of, um, this side of God where he's chastising us or he's sending us an enemy. Sometimes it's just his goodness that will humble us. God can reveal to us a big God to show us our finiteness. You ever sit back and get, get wowed by God? Job 38, after Job goes through the whole trial, he looks at Job and he goes, Have you walked on the bottom of the ocean and explored its depths? Were you there when I set the limits of the oceans and drew the lines of the sands and the beaches? Since you were born, Job, has there been one day since you commanded the morning? Does the rain have a father, Job? Can you tilt the water skins of the heavens? Can you feed Oh, not just all the animals of the earth. Can you feed just the birds? And what is God doing? It is, it is, it, when Job sees that man, he just humbles himself. Even in the middle of this trial where Job was going through, he had gotten an inflated view of who he was. But God can also resolve a perplexing problem to show us his wisdom and power. When they went to him and said, We don't have wine for the party, Jesus turns water to wine. We don't have food. Uh, for the multitudes. Get that little boy's loaves and fishes. And all of a sudden, God resolves this problem. You know what? That's humbling. He can take these seemingly huge problems and he can unravel them in a moment. Seventh, he can transform the human heart to show the world his redemptive purpose. He can transform the human heart to show the world his redemptive purpose. We have the the demon-possessed man of Gadara in the Bible. And the Bible says that when he unleashed him from the demons, and the demons went out into the herd of pigs, that the man came back and said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has compassion on thee. He, he published it in Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. It can be very humbling when you actually see how God can transform our hearts. And then lastly, he can bless us in spite of our unfaithfulness, to display his unconditional love. You know God's going to do his work in spite of your screw-ups. We see that with Isaac, where he uh, went into the country and he lies about his wife to Abimelech. And then right like four verses later, his wealth uh, expands ten times. I mean, he knew he totally screwed up and then God does this overabundant thing to him. We see Peter denying Jesus by the fire, and then and then Jesus showing up to him one-on-one and saying, "Hey, I love you. Do you love me?" And when you know that you have not been faithful and God continues to bless you, it is humbling. I'm not the world's greatest pastor. I'm not the most spiritual. Y'all know I'm probably not the priest guy who makes you all feel warm and fuzzy. I'm not the most faithful guy in my prayer life. I'm not the most disciplined person. And I look around and say, God has blessed me so much in my life. It's humbling to see. So if you take the law of pride and you walk down these steps, this process takes years, it costs a lot, and it's painful to undergo that. Anybody ever been down the law of pride path? The rest of you are liars, okay? All of us have been down that path. But then we have another spiritual law. It's the law of humility. It's if I humble myself, I will be exalted. What is the pattern uh, of humility? It starts with this. I submit to God. I submit to God. I realize when I wake up in the morning, there is a higher power than I, and I submit to him. Where does this happen? This happens in the secret place. I was listening to a message by John Tyson this week, and he said, what if there was one place where you could go where you knew you could get all the power you needed for the day, the encouragement you needed for the day, the comfort, the direction, and the peace for the day? We'd all run there. He goes, it's your closet. It's your time with God. The Bible says, who will I look to in Isaiah 66? He who is humble and contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. In other words, I submit myself to God. So we think of spiritual disciplines often as like, I need to read the, read the Bible to get something for the day. But you realize just the act of going to the Word says, I am not God. And I need that every day of my life. It, it is, you know, I don't, can't tell you how much of a blessing it is as a pastor to hear you guys give testimony of the Word. Because you know what it says to me is, yes, they're seeing themselves as under the authority of God. Do you realize most people you interact with in a given day don't have this exercise in their head? They don't walk into life thinking there is a higher power than me that I must submit to. And then secondly, I see myself with gospel eyes. I see myself with gospel eyes. Jesus says to the, the disciples to come and say, who's me to the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They, really, they were wrestling over who would sit next to Jesus. And he pulls this little child and says, you need to become like this little child. And he blew their minds. What, is, what are gospel eyes of how I see myself? Because we have this kind of thought that if I'm going to be humble, I walk around kind of like with a woe is me, self-deprecatory type posture. I'm always, when someone compliments me, telling them how much I'm not that great. Right? There's kind of this self-pity that's really popular right now. But I don't think that's it. I think gospel eyes, you don't wallow in self-pity. What are gospel eyes? First of all, you say, I am God's child. He created me good. I was created in the image of God. Then, you know what? I messed it up. I've got sin in my life. I wasn't everything he created me to be. And so third, what do you do? He redeemed me through his death on the cross. He rescued me. You know, when you look at the cross, it'll never flatter you. Nothing in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. Self-regard then dies at the foot of the cross. And I realize, you know what? Without him, I am nothing. And then the last part of the gospel eyes is he is now restoring me back into that original image. He's doing his work in me. In that picture of gospel eyes, created good, fell into sin, redeemed by Jesus, he's restoring me. You have all the picture of what you actually need. That's what humility is. You see yourself for who you really are. This is not insecurity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So, so this is not a lack of confidence. The most humble people out there are some of the most confident, and sometimes the most prideful people are the most insecure people. Amen. You get someone who's always criticizing other people, they're insecure, right? They're, they, they inside, they know that they're not all that. I like how Mother Teresa talked about humility. She said, it is actually looking at yourself with clarity of sight. If you're humble, she says, nothing's going to touch you. Praise or criticism and disgrace is going to touch you. Because you know what you are. If you're blamed, you're not going to be discouraged. And if they call you a saint, you'll not put yourself on a pedestal. You're going to see yourself with clear gospel eyes. And then here's the action, is seek the low place. So when you walk into the banquet, sit in the back, sit in the last seat, seat at table 44, right? Uh, that's, that's where you go and you seek that. This is, this is a mindset that wherever I go, I seek the low place. I heard this, this fable that I read where this young man went to his mentor in the faith and he said, hey, uh, 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 the, the wise old man, I want to be humble, but I don't know how to attain it. How do I acquire humility? The wise man thought for a minute, he says, here we want you to do. I want you to go out of here, find someone who's beneath you, and do something nice for him. Give him something that you have or do something for him that needs to be done. And the, and the, and the boys you know, took off, found a homeless man, took him to dinner, paid the bill, dropped him back off, and he came back to the wise old man. And he feeling pretty good about himself. And he goes, hey, do I have humility now? And the wise old man said, not yet. He goes, what else do I have to do? He says, I want you to go out and find somebody else and do something nice for him. And the young man got upset. So I already did that. But if I go do this second one, will I have humility? He says, nope, you're not going to have it. And this upset him even more. He goes, how many do I have to help? Ten people? A hundred people? He goes, nope, nope. I don't understand. How many people do I have to help in order to get humility? the wise old man said, you have obtained humility when you can no longer find anyone that you think is beneath you. Just, just sit in your day and walk through it in your head, on your job, in your neighborhood, in your home. Is there anybody that you view as beneath you? This is the mindset. The Bible says in Philippians 2.3, consider others more important than yourselves. That means every other person. That is hard. (laughs) It is well to remember that the entire population of the universe with one trifling exception is composed of others. (laughs) There is one you, there's six billion people on the planet, and the gospel mindset is, I am beneath all. How does this work out in relationships? Uh, Mother Teresa, I was reading a lot about her. She has 15 different rules, and I kind of broke them down into different categories. But in relationships, she said, with yourself, when you interact with people, speak as little as possible about yourself. Don't seek to be admired or loved. Don't protect yourself behind your dignity. When people irritate you, accept the irritation with humor. Don't dwell on others' faults. Accept their censure, even if it's unmerited. Give in to the will of other people. Accept being forgotten. Accept being forgotten. People forget your birthday? Does it burn you? Accept it. Be courteous when provoked. Here she says, give in even when you're right. Oh, that hurt. (laughs) Give in even when you're right. Rejoice at others' success. Stay out of other people's affairs. She says, choose always the most difficult task. Recognize your limits and don't reach beyond them. Submit yourself to help other people succeed. Folks, I think this is what the church should be. As I look around the world and I say, do we have ministry humility? You know, in the nonprofit world, when we were starting out the cross-purpose stuff, there were all the big people in town. And you know what? I had envy in my heart to them, and I would judge them. Yeah, they're not a, we're doing it better, you know. And I would just kind of have this, like, interior pride about that because I knew we were small and we had nothing. And now, you know what? Now we're one of the big dogs in town. And you know what Juan and I hear almost on a monthly basis? Someone out there is talking about us. And I see myself in that person. I'm like, I was, this is so wrong. <laughs> this lack of humility in the church world. You know, I was at a, a gathering of 10 pastors this week, and everyone's freaked out. Is, is our church going to bounce back after, after COVID? You know? And uh, somebody said to me, yeah, the larger the church, the bigger the COVID drop off. I was like, yep. <sniffs> Serves those big churches, you know, shallow. You know, I was like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't dip as much as we did. Like, literally, I'm having that conversation in my head, and I'm like, how sinful is that? How stupid is that? Are we not all on the same team? Is there a theological humility? When someone disagrees with our beliefs, because we got it all right, right? We have figured it out. We have the last uh, line of truth to Jesus' throne room, right? I was... Um, Researching. I was listening to a couple other sermons this week, and I stumbled upon a sermon by a, a guy I ran into a dozen years ago on the East Coast, and he was speaking to a crowd of thousands. And uh, I don't like this guy. I got in a conversation with him about justice, and we were on opposite sides of the fence, and we were in a group of about 20 other pastors, and, he, and I, was, I was probably the only one from an urban context doing this community development work, and I was really poking at their inadequate views of justice from my perspective. And he like ripped into me in front of the whole crowd. and You know, he's famous and he's written books and all that. And I walked out and I just have never liked the guy. And when people talk about his books to me, I'm like, yeah, but he's a jerk, you know. And he gets up and he preaches a message on humility. Oh, like he can't preach that message because <laughs> he ain't humble. I know, I met him 12 years ago. And he's pretty much damned from now to eternity (laughs) at being a jerk, right? Oh, man. I was wrestling listening to the sermon going, God, melt my heart for this guy. It's obvious something's grown in him because that's not the spirit I saw. I wonder how many people out there that I've gone to this to, right? And they got Jason going, yeah, he's a jerk. Believe me, there there could be dozens, hundreds of people. I don't want to live that way anymore. Relational humility. The Bible says only by pride comes contention. You have a conflict with somebody else right now, pride's there. It's probably in both parties. It might be at different levels. But we'd be foolish to think it's all their stuff, right? Political humility. Are we really going to sever relationships with somebody else because of how they vote? Some of you vote different than your parents. You have to go back to holidays. Really, is it that significant? People are just vocalizing the context in which they're in. Or vocational humility. What if I was just there to help others climb the ladder? As I was listening to John Tyson uh, this week, uh, he said, he's, uh, you know, we kind of know how, pro- how humility needs to work. We're not preaching anything new to people in churches. He says, but what's really the problem? Because we, we see all the damage, and we see what's wrong, we can critique it. There's a whole, whole movements around critiquing the church. But he said this, our ability to critique what is wrong is so much stronger than our ability to embody and live out the alternative. Our critiquing muscles are stronger than our formation muscles. You know, we can sit there and get mad at everybody else who doesn't think like I do, believe like I do, vote like I do, or maybe we could just live out the alternative and be the change that's needed in the world. When we do this, the law works like this. God now gives grace. God gives grace. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who humble themselves, right? And when you humble yourself before God, you release God's incredible power to work in your life. And you're not going to lose. You're going to win because God's on your side. You know, when he's looking over heaven and there's Jason. He's like, hey, Jason, go that way. And then I just like, I don't want to go that way, but I'll go that way because you said go that way. And, and all of a sudden, whew, it's like easy. Like, it's not like taking the chain off my bike. It's like, give me one of those nice little new electric ones, right, that move with just a tap, right? That's what it's like to go in grace. He leads the humble in what is right, Psalm 25, 9 says, and teaches the humble his way. Isaiah 66, this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble, contrite in spirit. I mean, God is looking for people, who are humble, they see themselves with gospel eyes, they take the low place, and they, they go in God's direction. Bernard of Clairvaux said this, grace does not flow uphill. It doesn't go to the proud, it goes to the lowly places. And then what happens? God exalts me. I couldn't find a commentator to unpack this piece for me, because it seems almost like we shouldn't want this thing. Isn't the whole point to take the low place? But there's that verse in 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. That there actually is a time where God's going to actually uh, take you up. He's going to do something in your life, and it's of him, and it's in the right time and the right way. Paul was on the backside of the desert until finally God said, Paul, it's your time. Uh, Mary was this uh, teenage uh, woman, and God came to her and said, Hey, you know, you, you are blessed among women, and now I'm going to bring you into the light. Samuel is just a kid serving the temple, and God starts speaking to him at night Hey, hey, Samuel, it's time for you. I am ready to bring you into the spotlight. So God will actually, he's waiting for people to follow this law of humility. And God actually wants to do something significant with your life and your impact. But he will do it. I heard the statement, you take care of the depth of your life and God will take care of the breadth of your life. This is the opposite of the entire social media structure. Let's go out there and build a following and get people to like us. right? We haven't really done anything. Just go do and let God decide when He wants to make you an influencer. And I will say this. Uh, you know, Mother Teresa was 59 years old. Nobody knew who she was. Her whole life ministering uh, in the ghetto. And Malcolm Muggeridge goes and actually visits her. He's deeply touched, does a documentary, writes a book, and now uh, God blew her up. You know, 300,000 ministries around the world named in her name. But she was just focused on, I love what John said, just lay the brick for the day, right? And most of the humble people, by the way, you're not going to hear about. Because God chooses to exalt them in a different way, at a different time, and some folks won't be exalted until the final banquet feast of God where we all sit down with him. But you know what? Mother Teresa's probably not going to be closest to Jesus because she's had her day. She's had her glory. You're probably going to see a bunch of people at the head table who you've never, ever heard of. And as we let Jesus, as he tells us the stories, we're like, oh my gosh, I see now how I should have lived my life. But let other people in God worry about the time to exalt you or promote you. Somebody said, it's far more impressive when others discover your good qualities without your help. (laughs) So God's going to take you to another level eventually in your impact, whatever he's called you to do. But you don't have to worry about it and you don't have to create it. I often think about writing a book and I always think about, I have a little thing about book ideas. And I've had book ideas for the last 30 years. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I I'm, I look back and I'm lucky to listen. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't write that book, you know, because I actually wasn't that good at that, right? I, I'm just a little more slow to say, when does that thing need to come out? I think there's a book in me. But I'm going to have to really know that God wants that book to come out at that time. And I love Philippians 2. Because Jesus is actually, uh, gives us the roadmap of this. If you look at the start of Ephesians 2, he basically says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What did he do? He took the low place. He took the last place. The last place at the banquet, he took it. I'm going to come to a peasant family and be born in a cave, and I'm going to live an ignominious life, right? And at the right time, I'm going to be exalted. And, folks, it wasn't on earth because the Bible says, Uh, that he was crucified, and then now God has highly exalted him and given a name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Like he is now exalted on the throne. And so I, I can give you a list of things to do to be humble, or I can simply say, look at the humble one. Look at the one who came. Nobody ever told him to come sit up front. He never experienced honor, and yet he's the reason we all still gather here today. And I believe when you look at Jesus, you look at how he lived, God will actually transform you, and that spiritual law of humility will take deep root. And as a pastor, you know what, if we as a church all look for the hardest jobs and we all saw everybody else in this room as better than us, we would create this community, right, that would be so attractive to people. Most of the world's not a big deal. But if we just started making everybody else important and inviting everybody else to the front of the room, and we took the low job, we took the low place, we become true then Jesus people. So in a toxic world of strife, conflict, judgment, criticism let's be a different community let's pray Lord God in heaven you wrecked my life this week as you show me so many ways that you're trying to humble me right now I'm bothered by my resistance so Lord help me do maintenance of my own vehicle my own heart Help me to see you with who you are, see myself for who I am. Lord, give me the heart to just want to be at the low place. Change us into your image, we ask. In your name, amen. Amen.